0: Hello, welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet's series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. My aim is that these conversations give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Today on Fruitbox, I want to talk about supermarkets and more specifically about the future of food retailing in the United States. And who better to discuss this with me than Phil Lempert, one of the best known commentators on food and food retail trends in the US? Phil, who publishes the Lempert Report, is a regular commentator as the supermarket guru on CNN, on NBC, on ABC, on Fox News, and even the Oprah Winfrey Show. It all explains why I'm delighted to have Phil join us on Fruitbox today. Phil, welcome to Fruitbox.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure.
0: Now Let's start out by looking at the way food retail works nowadays in the United States. I can tell kind of when I'm in a supermarket in the U.S. and when I'm in one in Europe. And a lot of this has to do with the way in which you merchandise your fresh produce over there. Do do you agree?
1: Absolutely and and in fact what it brings to mind is first let me talk about a store that I was in Italy probably about four or five years ago and the produce department was small unlike here in the U.S. and what I loved about it is every single produce item was curated. There was a basket of bananas for example that maybe had a dozen bananas. There was another basket that had maybe six apples in it. And as people would buy each of these items and each one was beautiful and and looked great. And I had bought an apple there and and it was absolutely delicious. um, Someone would go in the back room and replace it. So let's fast forward to the US, where every supermarket is built, where you walk into the produce department. That way you get all the sensory emotions, the flavors, the colors, and so on. And the first thing that you're likely to see is probably about five bins of apples. And the apples are have been in you know cold storage for a year, year and a half, um, relatively tasteless. Um, and our our Supermarket uh, produce department has about 550 SKUs in it. So a very wide assortment, even though Americans are buying probably about 10, 11 different, very common produce items every week. What we need to do in my opinion is we need to change that whole system. We need to sell only those products, only those produce items that are in season. And when we look at our consumption of produce, it's about 3.4, 3.5 servings a day. As we know from PMA and everybody else, we should be consuming at least five for for health reasons. And no matter how much money is spent on these promotions, we can't get above that 3.5 level. And for me, it's all about taste and it's all about flavor. And if we were just to sell those produce items that were in season, here's what would happen. First of all, that produce department would shrink substantially. Second, we would have fresher produce. We would have better tasting produce and we would have more nutritious produce and and it would be less expensive. So for all those reasons, my feeling is we could get that consumption up if in fact, We had, you know, better tasting, more nutritious produce. You know, I've been in the fields in in Northern California and I've, you know, picked a melon and eaten a melon in the field, and it was absolutely delicious. When I go to a supermarket to buy a, a cantaloupe melon, it's crunchy and tasteless. That's our problem. That's what we've got to solve if in fact we want to raise consumption. And it's not about quantity, it's about
0: quality. I guess my listeners who are from Peru and Chile and South Africa are going to have to say a few things about that. But let's let's move on. And um, we, we mustn't forget that 50 cents in every dollar in your country is spent at food service in, in kind of restaurants, quick service restaurants or, uh, or upscale restaurants or just mid market restaurants and it means that food retailers have had to compete uh, for their share of stomach or for our share of stomach i would say i should say with a sector that has an enormous footprint in your market um, what impact does the competition of food service have on the way supermarkets operate
1: well chris i'd like to separate it to pre covid and post pandemic okay so pre covid um what happened is supermarkets started building within the supermarket, what's called a groceron,
0: mm-hmm. a
1: full service restaurant, a wine bar, anything that they could do to try to steal those food service dollars. And it was very successful in, in many cases, uh, people would actually in St. Louis, um, at Schnucks, uh, call to make a reservation to, to have, you know, your Friday night dinner, uh, next to, you know the the deli department if you would.
0: Nooks is a is a is a supermarket is it?
1: Yes okay. is a chain of supermarkets privately owned they actually had um, a, a little band there a violinist um, a cellist and a pianist there to entertain Friday nights mm-hmm. uh, they had valet parking as, as you would at many restaurants here in in the U.S. and it and it was really doing well um, obviously now, because of COVID, those operations have been shut down. Yeah. Um, they're probably not coming back. Let me let me say that as well. Um, here in the US, what's happened is obviously because of the stay at home orders, uh, people have gravitated to making more food at home. Now that could be a frozen dinner, or it could be in many cases, making, making foods from scratch, making dinner, lunch and mm-hmm. breakfast from scratch eating home more. So the dollars have shifted. Now on the restaurant side, because restaurants, um, and in some States they are opening, they have to limit the amount of people in there to between 30 and 40% of capacity of what they used to have. Um, they have to social distance. Some of them are putting on these very strange, um, Uh, cones, if you would, Mm -hmm. around a table or around individuals. Um, People have to wear masks going into the restaurant. Um, They can take them off, obviously, to consume their food.
0: Mm. And
1: the question is going to be what happens to food service after COVID-19. So the NRA, National Restaurant Association, predicts that somewhere between 30 and 40% of restaurants will not reopen, that they're out of business.
0: As much as that.
1: Yes, which is huge. And that's everything, to your point, from fast food to white tablecloth restaurants. A lot of fast food operators are filing bankruptcy as, as you know we're talking right now. Sure. Um, what some restaurants are doing, which is really interesting to me, um, and, and we've coined a phrase called Restomarts, mm-hmm. uh, combination of restaurant and supermarket, uh, is, is doing what Cracker Barrel started in 1969 having a restaurant, and then within the restaurant, having a little grocery store. Mm-hmm. And there are restaurants that are selling toilet paper. They're selling some of their own ingredients. They're selling, obviously, takeout uh, meals that you can just microwave at home. They're selling flour. They're, they're selling a wide array. And here, um, we've got a distributor called Cisco um who actually has set up a separate website to help these restaurants get into the grocery business and they teach them what to buy having consumer sizes not where you have to buy a 50 pound bag of flour and you know they're teaching them how to merchandise how to display and for me that's going to be a new hybrid model that i believe that's going to be very successful uh, because we before COVID 19 we went out to eat for lunch or dinner 4.4 times a week, according to Zagat. We only went supermarket shopping 2.1 times a week, so we used to frequent it more. So this could start getting people to go back to restaurants, uh, not only to eat in the restaurant or if they've got an outdoor area, but also it's more convenient than going in a store that has 45,000 different products. And imagine you've got a shopping list of of 20, 25 items. In order to to acquire those items, you have to walk past 45,000 items. That's not very efficient time-wise, attention-wise. And and if we have a local restaurant that has those top 20 items that people buy, um, it's much easier to go in, maybe get some prepared food, pick up your groceries, and head out.
0: Mm Now you're you're still um, um, very much in the teeth of uh, of this COVID nineteen crisis over the there in the US, and it's brought about uh, the closure as you've as you just mentioned of much of the food service sector. Um, now, how have the supermarkets therefore reacted? What what what's happening to them?
1: Well, supermarket sales are up um, for for the month of March and April, which are the latest numbers that we've got. Um, According to Nielsen, they're up around 35%, uh, both in sales and in profits. Um, So supermarkets are really reaping the benefits of that. As I said, people are eating home more. Um, However, um, one of the most famous uh, supermarket chains here, Wegmans, um, which always rates it as number one in any survey um, of supermarkets, um, Wegmans just the other day closed their pub which is a very, very busy, uh, successful operation, and they have seven of them. And they decided to close it because they they just saw the distancing, everything that it stood for uh, to not be realistic. So, you know, Supermarkets have reacted by closing their grocerants, uh, the restaurants that might be adjacent to their supermarkets that they own. um, And they're trying, and and they've closed salad bars, and they've closed olive bars, and, you know, anything that's self-serve doesn't exist anymore. Uh, So, you know, they're trying to figure out what's the next step. And it appears, and I hate to to say this, but it appears that we're now in the, you know, uh, not phase two quite yet, according to Dr. Fauci and others, uh, but we we hit a blip, an increase, uh, because of people going out for Memorial Day and Fourth of July, and um, as, as a result of that, we've seen huge spikes here in California, where I'm located. Um, the numbers just keep on going up, and you can walk around the streets and you see people without masks and you see people not social distancing. And up until the other day, uh, when Governor Newsom closed, you know, indoor dining, uh, you would see people hanging around bars without masks and, and things like that. So you no, know, we we do not have this under control. And for supermarkets, uh, it is mandatory in most states to have to wear a mask, whether you be an employee or Um, a a customer and they've put in plexiglass shields and, you know, the the whole shopping experience has changed dramatically. Uh, No one, you know, pre COVID would say, Oh, going to a supermarket wasn't fun because all those again with the produce department, all those wonderful smells and aromas and the produce manager walking over and, you know, cutting a piece of produce and handing it to you for a sample. Those days are over. And one of the concerns that a lot of supermarkets have is whether or not they're going to have to Um, actually start wrapping produce. Uh, Similar when when Tesco with Fresh and Easy came to the US and one of their failures were every single apple and banana and everything else were wrapped. Um, They're talking about having to do that here, which is going to change the produce department dramatically. But people are very concerned about other people touching, you know, the raw flesh of mm. produce items.
0: Mm. Sounds like Tesco arrived in the United States 10, ten years too early. But um, this, this sort of like begs the question of, of, of what happen, happens next. And one thing you haven't mentioned so far is that is the question of e-commerce. I mean, it seems to me that the moment for the likes of Amazon surely has, has arrived. And, and e-commerce is bound to be a, a beneficiary of this shakeup, isn't it? So how are the, the, the bricks and mortar guys going to react to the growth of, of e-commerce? Well, they're
1: embracing it um, and, and it's not only Amazon, but Walmart as well. During the pandemic, their sales have increased multifold. fold they, They've had to hire hundreds of thousands of people. Um, Instacart, which is a delivery service that works with about 300 different retailers throughout the US has had to hire 300,000 um, additional people. Um, what we can't look at what the numbers have been the numbers have increased anywhere from 100 to 300%, depending on the retailer for e-com. What is going to happen, because nobody's really making money on delivery, uh, what's going to happen is people will order online, but they're going to pick it up it's not going to be delivered. And it's not going to be delivered for a couple reasons. Number one, even though everybody's running commercials about having contactless delivery, uh, the reality is that that's pretty difficult to do. Yes, they can leave your groceries at at your doorstep, ring your bell and run away. Uh, But but they've still come in contact with the food and so on. Uh, People feel, and once once those regulations are over, people are gonna be very hesitant to have a stranger move into their house with them uh, to bring in the groceries. So what we've really seen the increases on, and we're gonna continue, is this click and collect model that I go online, I say I'm gonna be there 5 p.m. and I drive up, someone brings it into my car, puts it in my trunk and off I go. That's where we really see the growth. Pre-COVID um, online sales, whether it was click and collect or delivery, was about 3 to 4%. Um, these days, um, in, in some cases, it's 18%. It'll probably go down and level off at around 8 to 10%, so still substantially more, uh, perhaps even three times greater, but it'll be more of that click-and-collect model than the delivery.
0: And what about the, the grocery store as such? Do you see that the grocery store will become much more of a kind of experiential, fresh food store next to a dark store, if you will? Um, how's that going to work?
1: Absolutely, Chris. You know, what, what I envision is that typical 45,000-square-foot store will be cut in half. The back half will be totally robotic, mm-hmm. um, and that will pick those grocery items, the unemotional cans, jars, boxes, the brand names that we can't live without. Sure. Um, And what will happen is the front of the store will be exactly as you described. That will be very experiential. Uh, That's where you'll talk to your meat manager, your produce manager. I mean, when we look at the complaints, from Ecom, uh what we see is number one complaint is quality of produce, number two is quality of meat. So mm-hmm. we wanna pick those and we do wanna go into stores, but it'll be different. I think we'll go to um, a website, and by the way, Schnooks is doing this now, the, the retailer that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. and we will make a reservation for what time we wanna go shopping, just the same way we made a reservation to go to a restaurant to, to to before a restaurant. this. And, you know, I'm going to, then after I make my reservation, click to another screen and then order all those groceries Mm -hmm. uh, that I don't want to have to deal with. Uh, The brands that I'm very brand loyal to, or even store brands that I can go through and pick. Then I'm going to go to the store and Instead of spending 22 minutes, uh, which is the average here in the US, I might only spend 10 minutes, but I'm going to pick my cheese, I'm going to pick my deli items, I'm going to pick my meats, I'm going to pick all those fresh foods, I'm going to, you know, look at beautiful produce and and have that picked. Um, so you know, it, it's going to be a better shopping experience, but it definitely is going to be more structured. They're going to limit the number of people who are in that store. But because of the robotics in the back of the store, retailers will finally be able to make money on e mm-hmm.
0: That's very interesting. I, I do hope you spend or one would spend more than 10 minutes going doing all that wonderful shopping and that in that beautiful grocery uh, section. But anyway, let's let's come to perhaps the last uh, area of discussion today, and it's a very big one. And that's to do with the, uh, the, the the global economic slump that we're all expecting to come. You'd think in these circumstances that ever more shoppers are going to be attracted by the likes of Aldi and Lidl. These are two German discounters who've expanded their footprint here in, in, in my country, in Britain, and I know that they're expanding in the US as well. What impact will their growth have on on the established food retailers like Kroger and and Walmart and so on?
1: Well, the first thing to look at is Aldi probably about three years ago um, with, with their new CEO decided to expand their marketplace. And what I mean by that is typically people went shopping at Aldi for discounts. What he's decided to do, uh, Kevin Holt is his name. Mm-hmm. What he decided to do was expand, and and even go into geographies of more upscale neighborhoods, and cater to Generation Z, cater to the millennials, um, and and really do curated offerings. Even though 95% of what's in an Aldi is private label under their own brand, uh, they're brilliant at it. Um, I've I've been to their labs, I've been to their kitchens, I've I've met with them. And for example, in olive oils, in a US supermarket, we might have a hundred different olive oils. Um, At Aldi, they only have a few. They have a general uh, olive oil, and this is all under their own label. They've got an organic one, they've got an extra virgin one, and then they've got a super, extra virgin one that is actually imported from a region of Italy. And and again, many Italian olive oils sold here in the U S are not Italian olive oil. They're packed in Italy, uh, but they come from Tunisia or they come from Greece or they come from Spain. Uh, but this is a true 100% authentic Italian olive oil. And they do really well selling those, those four olive oils as compared to a supermarket selling a hundred olive oils. Um, And they've they've doubled the size of their produce department in the past year and a half. So they're really attuned to what consumers are looking for at a substantial discount. So they've combined both. Lidl has been struggling here in the U.S. to try to find themselves. Um, We also have other groceries here called Save-A-Lot, which is a deep discounter. Um, we have a, a terrific one called Grocery Outlet uh, that just went public, one of the most successful IPOs last year. And what they do is they're opportunistic buyers. So let's say Kellogg's Cornflakes has changed their formula or changed their package or changed an ingredient. They'll buy up um, those old inventories for, you know, I I don't know how much, but, you know, cents on the dollar, if you would, um, and sell them through their outlets. So they're selling name brands at deep discounts where you could save between 30 and 50%. Um, and then we've got our dollar stores who are also selling produce and selling a lot of, uh, different items, name brands at inexpensive prices. So to your question, yes, These retailers, as the recession continues and perhaps even gets worse, um, are doing very, very well and will continue to. Uh, So for Kroger, um, that's somewhat bad news, uh, but what we're starting to see is that retailers are announcing price freezes as they did, uh, back in 2008 where they're advertising, we're holding our prices on 10,000 items or 5,000 items, whatever it is. So they know they've got a fight on price. Um, there always will be shoppers who want that shopping experience. Um, now that the shopping experience is changing, whether it be Albertsons or, Kroger or any other retailer um, we've got to see how that changes and people might see very little difference between shopping at an Aldi or a grocery outlet and shopping in a Kroger in the case of Walmart Walmart has really beefed up its e-commerce business, uh, both on click and collect and delivery. And I don't think that Walmart's going to be hurt. Walmart is the largest food retailer here in the U.S. Uh, they, When they go head-to-head with the Kroger's of the world, they are much less expensive. Uh, they are more expensive than the Aldi's of the world. So they're in that middle ground. So the question's going to be, will the Walmart shopper gravitate towards the Aldi's of the world to save even more money? Will the Kroger shopper feel more comfortable shopping at Walmart, whether it's in-store or online, than going to an Aldi? So the, the short answer is, we don't know. But I can tell you, without any question, that these discounters like Aldi, like Lidl, like Grocery Outlet, like Save-A-Lot, like Dollar Stores, are going to continue to increase their volume, increase their customer base, and really spread to a much wider audience.
0: Fascinating times. That's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox, I'm afraid. I was talking down the line with the supermarket guru, Phil Lempert. Phil, Thank you so much for your time. And I wish you uh, a very, very happy Independence Day and uh, stay safe and keep well.
1: Thank you, Chris, and to you and yours as well.
0: Now, you can find today's conversation with Phil and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. Our audience continues to grow. And many of you now tune into these conversations each and every week. It shows the strong interest there is out there for the best insight at a moment of momentous change in our business. I've got more great guests coming on the show in the coming weeks. If you'd like to feature in a future episode or have got some ideas about what you'd like me to talk about on Fruitbox, then do drop me a line uh, to my email address, chris at fruitnet.com. Fruitbox is now on all the podcast platforms. You can stream or download an episode to your phone or your tablet. And when you have finished listening, then do start reading because all our magazines are now available for the phone and the tablet too. They're free to download at Apple's App Store and at Google Play. That was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you for listening, and until the next time, goodbye.